says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for your word because it is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. We thank you that your word is so powerful that we can hide it in our heart and not sin against you as God. As I step back, I thank you for the Holy Spirit in this place to move in whatever direction he chooses. And I pray that the word of God will go down deep into our hearts and begin to transform our minds so that our lives as couples will never be the same. I pray that everyone will have an open heart and an open mind to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to them. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Let everybody say amen. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Last week started our Survivor Series, which we do every year. And this is when, of course, we use our Sunday morning services to split our group. Our 9 o'clock services are for our married couples and our 11 o'clock are for our non-married or single individuals. And this allows me as a pastor to minister to each group in a very unique way. In other words, it's like providing counseling to each person in a group setting. And so this series will last about a month. We'll end it in September. And our theme this year is called Uncensored. Everybody say Uncensored. And this means that I'll be talking about some things that uh, need to be addressed. And uh, I may say it sometimes without a filter. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say some things that you've probably been trying to say to your spouse and they haven't been listening. Or say some things you want to say to your spouse, but you're scared to do it. So that's what I'm going to be doing during this whole series. And last week, our topic was entitled, Me, My Spouse, and God. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that, go on the website. It's absolutely free. I know that it will bless you. And this lesson dealt with self-esteem. And the point that I made opening up last week's message was this. Most marriages are in jeopardy before they start because there must be unity before there is wholeness. A lot of married couples, when they got married, weren't whole like they needed to be. Therefore, the marriage started out with stress before it even got started. And so our topic today is entitled, Drop the Rocks. Just look at your spouse and say, Drop the Rocks. Drop the Rocks. And it is a lesson that will help couples resolve conflict. And whether you know it or not, most of you probably came to church with rocks in your pocket. If you check your spouse's purse or your husband's pockets, there are probably rocks in there. So buckle your seatbelt because we're going to be in for a roller coaster ride. Now, before I jump into the lesson this morning, I decided to give us a list of 10 negative things that couples tend to do when conflict arises. 10 things. Now, you don't have to write these down, but I just want you to see which one of these you do. Because these are negative ways in which we uh, address conflict. Here's number one. 
is when we bring additional issues to the table instead of resolving the one that got us here. That's what couples tend to do. Uh, a, a conflict comes up and they throw 25 different other conflict and is, issues there when, and then they never resolve the one that got them there. Here's the second thing. Some people stick their head in the sand and pretend nothing is wrong or they run, flee, or ignore the problem altogether. And so what happens, conflict gets swept under the rug and before you know it, you got a big mountain of dust in your house. Here's number three. Couples tend to never resolve the conflict, so it happens again, and conflict starts all over again. And that's what a lot, lot of, a lot of times when couples are going through conflict is really conflict from 25 years ago, because they never resolved it. Here's the next one: when your spouse brings up an issue, you get defensive and bring up your own. I think everybody's guilty on that one, huh? Let me help you understand that. In other words, when conflict arises and your spouse comes to you about it, and instead of listening to your spouse, you bring up one yourself. Well, you bring yours up on your own time. Here's the next one. Number five. When tempers rise, objects begin to fly, punches are thrown, and names are called. How many know married people still cuss each other out? Mm Mm-hmm. Just look at your spouse and say, I'm not telling if you won't. Here's the next one. When an issue is brought to your attention and you play the victim role. Y'all are quiet in here, ain't you? Here's the next one. When you slice your spouse down in front of the kids. Here's the next one. I don't like this one. When you say in the conversation, well, Pastor Eben said... Don't bring me up in your conflict. Why don't you say what Jesus said? Amen. Here's the next one. When you go on the silent treatment trip for days. I mean, there are couples who don't speak for days. I don't understand, but, you know, that happens. Here's the next one. Here's the last one. When you try and resolve major conflict through text or over the phone or while at work. You can't resolve conflict that way. You know, you got all caps on your text. And then you give an emojis with fingers. <laughs> then you at work. You, what I tell you? What? <laughs> so if you have your Bibles, I want you to find two verses of Scripture. Find Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Amos 3, 3. And then John chapter 8, verses 1. That was Amos 3, 3 and John chapter 8, verses 1. As you find those verses, let me just lay some ground rules again. How many were not here last week? Let me hear. Let me see. Okay. I'm going to lay the ground rules again. Uh, Here's the first one. Listen to the messages with only you in mind. Number two, any discussions initiated by you about the messages outside of church, when you talk to your spouse, make sure that it's talking only about how you can improve yourself. Number three, no hitting, kicking, eyeing, rolling of the eyes, or excessive amens while in church. And then lastly, please remember, there are going to be times where I'm prophetic. I can see into some things. And just know that your spouse did not secretly talk to me about your issue. So Amos 3, 3, I love this verse. It says, can two walk together except they be agreed? 
can two walk together except they be agreed? In other words, the only way that a couple can stay together, walk together, live together is when agreement is present. And this needs to be the goal of resolving any conflict. In other words, when something comes up, and let me just say this. If you are married one hour, you are going to have conflict. Did y'all hear that? I got a yay, Lord, and I got a amen, and I got a thank you, Jesus. If you are married, you're going to experience conflict. There's nothing bad about that, but it's how we handle it. So here's the first principle that I want to give you up front. Whenever conflict arises, the main goal is agreement. Everybody say agreement. 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 So uh, that's what Amos is about. And so we're going to lay the foundation of resolving conflict. And the first layer that we're putting on this is that we must start with unity in mind. All right. Now go to John chapter 8. We're going to spend the rest of our morning pretty much here because this is a story that most of you probably have read. But never notice that really there are principles in resolving conflict in this whole story about the woman who committed adultery. In in John chapter 8, look in verse 1. It says, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him and sat down and taught and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master. Now, what's interesting right there is that they appeared to have respect for Jesus. Now, whether they had respect or not, they appeared to have respect. And so let's just lay the second thing. We all know that agreement needs to be the bottom line. But we need to respect each other as conflict comes up. This woman, they said, was taken in adultery in the very act. I wonder how they find that out. Maybe they had a a Jerusalem version of cheaters. I mean, somebody had to be looking. They caught this woman doing it. (laughs) It said in the very act. Verse five. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground and as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those who accuse you? Has any man condemned you? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, at first glance... This actually looks like a scenario that they're bringing or trying to bring proper judgment into a situation. But when you look at it carefully, it's really not that. In other words, that's how the average conflict looks in a couple's life. It looks like somebody's trying to bring judgment or proper perspective on a situation. But in reality, there can be other things working. 
And so what I want to do is dissect this story so we can see and gain some principles of how Jesus resolved this conflict. So if you're taking notes, I have 10 principles. Everybody say 10 principles. Now, these, when I say a principle, a principle is something that if you will exercise it, it will work. A principle could be called a law. That like we have the law of gravity. What goes up must come. That works everywhere except for out of space. But it works here on the earth. Where there are laws or principles in God's word that if we will find the law out or the principle, it'll work. So here's the first principle that I want to give you. What I'm going to do is give you the principle and then expound. The first principle is when conflict arises, let's get the whole story out. Let's get the whole story out. See, this story really should not have been called the woman caught in adultery. It really should have been called the woman who was caught in a scandal. Because if she was caught in adultery and Moses' law said that they must be stoned, where is the man? Hello? In other words, sometimes when conflict arises in couples, whoever is trying to communicate the conflict, the other person doesn't give them a chance to even get it out. Before they are jumping into it. And so watch this. The whole story wasn't really told because if it was, they they would have brought the man with them too. Amen. Amen. And that's what in verse 3 it says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery and sat her in the midst. So watch this. The whole story could not have been told because the man wasn't there. So we're going to first get the whole story out. Here's principle number two. Never make the conflict about who was right or who was wrong. Never make the conflict about who was right and who was wrong. In my wedding vows, when I marry people, one of the things that I say in there is that it is better to be reconciled than to be right. If you go into conflict trying to determine who's right or wrong, then you'll probably never resolve the conflict. Or if you do, you'll resolve it. Watch this now. But you won't be in unity. Notice it says here. Uh, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? See, this situation was not really about proper judgment as much as it was about who was right. Was Moses right or was it Jesus right? See, that thing wasn't even about the woman. She was just a byproduct of what was going on. And that's what happens in conflict. A lot of times we don't even deal with what's going on. Really what we're trying to do is push our weight around about who was right and who was wrong. Everybody just smile. I won't know who I'm talking to. Just smile. So we're going to make sure that we don't enter the conflict with who was right and who was wrong. Because let me tell you a secret. Whoever wins, everybody loses. Here's number three. Third principle. Conflict resolution should never be about accusations. Now, this assassinates, when I talk about accusations, and I'll point it out here in just a minute. Accusations assassinates the character of the person instead of focusing on what actually happened. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Because in verse 6 it says, Then they said, tempting him, watch this, that they might have to accuse him. See, this really wasn't about resolving it. They just wanted, they were accusing Jesus. And when you're going through conflict, when it turns into accusations, you begin to assassinate the character of the person. So accusations sound something like this. Watch this now. You always, you never, 
I'm tired of you doing for the fifth time. Why can't you be responsible enough? See, what happens, accusations point to the person and not what they did. I'm going to say that again. Accusations point to the person and not in what they did. See, if you point to the person, now the person becomes the problem. You don't point to the person, you point to what actually happened. And when you deal with what happened, listen, you can deal with it. It doesn't matter who did it. The bottom line is that it happened. So watch this. How are we going to get out of this? Amen. Here's principle number four. This is good. Remain calm and ignore anything stupid that's said. (laughs) I'm going to say that again. Remain calm. Everybody say remain calm. Just look at your spouse and tell them, calm down. Remain calm and ignore anything stupid that's said. Now, I know that's unfiltered and I know know stupid's not a good word, but sometimes stupid stuff is said. I mean, watch how Jesus handled this. It says, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Amen. Amen. I love that because Jesus just acted like he didn't hear nothing. Amen. And sometimes as couples, you got to remember that nothing said is sometimes better than saying something. See, you know what's entertaining is watching your spouse make a fool of themselves. I mean, it's really entertainment. Jesus just act like he didn't even hear nothing. Now, I'm not saying ignore the person. But I am saying ignore the stupid stuff. Now, let me just say, let me say something about saying stupid stuff. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can last forever. And when you're in the midst of a difficult conflict, listen, Tame your tongue as much as possible because you may not ever be able to take those words back again. You can go and apologize for the words, but you don't know where those words went in the heart of your spouse. And that's why y'all still, you still mad from when y'all got married, the day when she, when you said I do. She's still mad at you because you didn't say it loud enough. Remain calm. Everybody say remain calm. You know, that that lines up with James 119. It says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath. I love the message Bible. It says this. Post this at all the intersections, dear friends. Leave with your ears. Follow up with your tongue and let anger straggle along in the rear. God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger. So here's a take-home statement or thought that you can write down if you're taking notes. Much can be said without saying so much. Much can be said without saying so much. And I just want to throw this in there because I know some of you all still cussing here. Notice Jesus didn't cuss them out. I'm going to say it on this side. Notice Jesus didn't cuss them out. There's a cussing spirit over here. Jesus didn't cuss them out. 
What did he do? He just remained calm. Here's the next one. Badgering and repeating is unnecessary unless the listening party is asking for further clarity. I'm going to say that again. Badgering and repeating is unnecessary unless the listening party is asking for further clarity. It says, so when they continued asking him, continued asking him, why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? Well, she heard you on the fourth. Why'd you do? She heard you on the first one too. And what couples do, I don't know why we get stuck in rewind. I think it's because we don't feel our spouse is hearing us. But they heard you the first time and that's why she's rolling your eyes the second time. Because she heard you. Let me tell you how irritating it be. Have you ever had your boss to ask you to do the same thing like five times in a row? How many have had that before? Isn't that irritating? Well, that's why your, how your spouse feel when you're badgering them about the same point. They kept asking him. They continued asking him. Here's the next principle. This, here's where my message comes in. Drop the rocks. Everybody say drop the rocks. Remember that you have sinned or made mistakes before yourself. See, when they brought this woman to Jesus, apparently they forgot who they were dealing with. They just weren't dealing with a, a regular like, like Pharisee or Sadducee. They were, they were dealing with Jesus. And you think you're going to catch Jesus and, and trip him up? Oh, no, no, no. So when they brought this lady to him, you know, now, if I was Jesus in the story, okay, so I'm going to put myself in the story. And if I was Jesus and had they brought the lady to me, I'd have been like, what's up, fellas? They'd been, they'd been like, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The Moses said, we should stone him. What do you think? I'm going to say, well, where's the man at? Now, see, Jesus wasn't trying to embarrass him, but I would have. That's what I'm saying. Thank God he's Jesus and I'm not. But in the, I'm just telling you what I would have done in the story. I would have said, well, what, what a man at? Was it one of y'all? <laughs> well, I would have chopped him down so bad. That, but see, Jesus is so loving. Because it's not about embarrassing and chopping people down. He just really wants to get down to the root of the thing. And I would have just said, you know, well, was it one of y'all? And I would have just waited for him to answer. And then I would have said to him, uh, How'd y'all find out? Who was watching? <laughs> I'm just telling you. Come on now. When you have done that, I, who, you know, I'm kind of logic in my thinking. I would, how'd y'all find that out? I mean, uh, did the cheetah show tell you? And then after they told me that, I, I would have said, well, you said Moses are the stoner. Okay, so uh, have you ever done anything wrong? Well, yeah, well, yeah, we have, Jesus. Uh, well, kill her if you've never sinned before. Just kill the lady. Just, that's what stoning was. See, stoning was an old version of the electric chair. Back in those days, they picked up stones and stoned you. See, if that happened in these days, we wouldn't even, be having all this, we wouldn't even have a show called Cheaters. Oh, it would be called The Rock. 
Can you imagine if, if these days, 2016, that every adultery situation had, we had a show on TV called The Rock. And it was just seeing everybody get stoned. Let me tell you something. If we had that, we wouldn't have nobody come in adultery. Everybody say, drop the rocks. See, it's easier to deal with someone else's sin when you can remember that you have some or had some. Watch this. It says, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up and said to them, he that is without sin among you, first let him cast a stone at her. We must take the telephone pole out of our eyes to properly see what's in our spouse's eyes. Now, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 7, verses 3. It's on the screen. This is the NIV version. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your spouse's eye? I added that. And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your spouse, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly how to remove the speck from your spouse's eye. Now the perspective is different when we're dealing with conflict because now it's not, it's not so big anymore because you see that, okay, I could have done that too. Have you ever done something, uh, your spouse done something and you ran and raved about it and then you turned around and did the same thing? <laughs> how that taste? And then what makes it bad, they don't even make a big deal out of it. You made a big deal out of it. I mean, you left, let's say, uh, uh, you left the, the garage door up. <laughs> you know, preaching in church is like throwing rocks at pigs. Whichever one you hit, they oink, right? Oink, oink, oink. <laughs> that was a modern day parable. But let's say somebody left the garage up and you make a big deal out of it and you go through the whole thing, you know, somebody could have came and opened up the door and got in the house and took all our stuff and you ain't no, got the alarm ain't even on and you go through all that. She talking about testify. <laughs> that sounded like an accusation to me. I'm offended right now. <laughs> And then you do it. And all they look at you just smile. You left the garage stuff up, honey. Come to find out the garage is broke. Hello. Everybody say drop the rocks. And you know what? At the end of the service today, I'm almost finished here. I'm going to ask some of you all to drop the rocks that you brought. Because, see, some of you all don't realize that your marriage is weighted down because you have accumulated tons of rocks. Here's the next one. Number eight. I think it's number eight. Let conviction, when, when conflict comes up, let conviction produce an apology. Notice now. It said in verse uh, 9, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, 
when you're going through a conflicting situation and you have discovered that you are wrong, don't make your spouse have to chase the truth. See, I hate that with my staff, if I have to chase the truth. Because I mean, if you just say, hey, I messed up, I'm sorry, Pastor, hey, it's on me, then I'm good. But, but if I got to chase the truth because you don't want to be honest and I got to chase the truth, then uh, at the end, it's going to be hard to deal with because I'm gonna, my hammer gets heavier the more I have to chase the truth, right? Well, when, just, when you and your spouse are going through something like that, don't make them have to chase the truth. Don't make them have to beg for an apology from you. At the end of the day, if you were wrong, just to be a man and a woman enough to just say, you know what, baby, I am sorry. They are, let me tell you something. You don't know your spouse is waiting on that. You say, well, I shouldn't have to apologize. Well, why not? You want other people to apologize when they do you wrong. And see, some of you all, your, li- your lips are sealed shut. You, you have super glue on them. You don't even know how to say you're sorry. Some of you all, you super glue your apologies and your spouse doesn't even know you know how to say those words. And I'm going to tell you something, those words can heal. You have to let conviction produce an apology. Here's number nine. Then after you've apologized, now it's time to forgive the matter. See, this is what happened. Jesus said to the woman, neither do I condemn you. Watch what he says. Go and sin no more. He forgave her. Listen, you cannot properly resolve anything until you end it with forgiveness and you might have to say do you forgive me in fact just look at your spouse and ask them do you forgive me come on just do it some of y'all are on the silent treatment plan so that's why (laughs) when you don't forgive you're collecting rocks notice he said neither do I condemn you And then the tenth principle, which I think is very powerful. Here it is. Try not to repeat fragrant sins or offenses because they can potentially produce different types of separation. Now, notice here. Now, a fragrant sin. uh, How many know sports? Anybody? Okay. In basketball, they have this term called a fragrant, flagrant, flake, like flagrant, like, like flagrant. They, they, they fixed that for me because I think I, I don't know if I did it right or not. But try not to repeat flagrant sins. And see, in basketball, a flagrant foul is when you foul it on purpose. And I mean, you try to kill the person. You know, they're coming up for the basket. And so you're like, look, if I'm going to foul them, I might as well make sure they don't score at all. And so you put all your weight on them. Well, Jesus noticed what he said. He said, neither do I condemn you. But that's not where he finished. He said, go and sin no more. He said, don't keep repeating the thing. I mean, if you know that some some things bother your spouse and y'all done fought over this thing for the last 10 years, stop doing it. Thank you for those three scattered claps. 
Proverbs 17, 9 says this. He that covers a transgression seeks love, but he that repeats a matter separates very friends. The Amplified says, he who covers and forgives an offense seeks love, but he who repeats or harps on the same matter separates even close friends. When you keep doing the same thing over and over and conflict keeps arising from the same thing, you are separating yourself. And when I say separation, there are different kinds of separation. You can have emotional separation. And that's why, you know, you you feel like you're a roommate. Because something has been done over and over and over again. You've told them, hey, don't do that. You know, uh, don't call my mama a bee. Don't do that. Don't call her that. (laughs) Somebody just did that. Somebody just did that. I promise you, somebody just did that. Stop calling your spouse's mama B. How many know that's not right? That's not right. Now see, I hear you. But Pastor, she act like one. It don't matter. Because it's offensive to your spouse. It's not something you should say. And when you repeat matters, and I'm talking about not just repeating small stuff. I'm talking about stuff that y'all done fought over like cats and dogs. When you repeat those things, it slowly separates you and you wonder why you all sleep like, like Lucy and Ricard and, uh, what's her name? Ricky. Did y'all ever notice growing up they slept in two different beds? You know, now that I understand what marriage is about, how did they get little Ricky? That's what I want to (laughs) know. You ever thought about that? I'm like, little Ricky running around here, but they got, Two twin. It wasn't even like a full size bed. It was like that twin buck bed size bed. Emotional separation. Here's the process. Then produces physical separation. This is why you can sleep in two different rooms. And then physical separation eventually leads to spiritual separation. See, once you've, you remember Jesus said you, you know, uh, in, in, well, in the Old Testament, it said Adam, and he says, you are now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We are now, now one. That one was flesh. But eventually what happens is people begin to spiritually separate themselves. And now that's when people start walking out of the house with, with the need to have other people give them attention. Because they've been, they're separated from their spouse. They live in the same house now. But they're separated. And so they go to work. And that's why she's getting dressed up. She's not getting dressed up for you, man. Uh-oh. Jesus Christ. Why am I saying what I'm saying? I don't know, but I'm saying the truth right now. And I don't care what you think. I'm going to say it anyway. Say it, Pastor. Say it. She getting all dressed up, looking all nice. She really trying to get somebody's attention at work. Everybody say, Houston, we have a problem. Same with him. He gets up at work. He ain't wore cologne in 10 years. He forgot they make more than brute now, but (laughs) 
some of you all in this room today, your biggest rock is your repeated offense. And today, we're going to drop the rocks. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, here's my question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What is the biggest rock that you've been carrying? You say, Pastor, it's hard for me to drop it. It's hard for me to drop it. Well, the only way you can drop an offense, the only way that you can drop an issue is if you put it in somebody's hand who can resolve it. I'm going to ask you to think about what's going on on the inside of your heart. Because there's a group of you in the room, your method of solving and resolving conflict is not even to talk about it. But it's creating a wall in your relationship. And the only way intimacy occurs is when you allow somebody to see into me. It's time to drop the rocks. Father, in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, the name that is greater than every name, And at that name, you said, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Father, there are many who have carried rocks in this morning. The rocks represent offenses, issues, non-resolved problems. And I pray now in the name of Jesus Christ that they will identify what it is And lay it down at your feet. And I pray that they will not pick it up again. And even when their spouse may repeat a matter. Your word says love never fails. That you will allow the love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts by your spirit. To rise up on the inside of us. That father we'll be able to love in spite of. We'll be able to forgive in spite of. And Lord, I thank you that as we do that, we will be transformed more into your image in Jesus' name. And I thank you today for marriages being changed. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head still bowed, if you're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, the only way you're going to be able to ultimately resolve conflict.